To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. Welcome everybody, this is Roomtone, the show that takes filmmaking's community to your ears. I'm Ruggero, your host, and here we are, the second episode of the second season. This is Roomtone, take 15, and we're super lucky today because this is an episode dedicated to fantasy lovers. And uh, of course, that was the soundtrack of uh, The Lord of the Rings, and uh, we just jumped straight into the mind of our guests. Today, we have an incredible combination dedicated all to crowdfunding, uh, we have Fantastic Ben Dobbins and Nicolas Ayerbe Barona. How are you guys doing today? All good. How are you? Doing great. I'm feeling pretty good over here. Uh, it's a beautiful Monday starting off the week here at CITR 101.9 FM. Broadcasting from Ansir Maskim land. Now let's go straight to it. So for the people out there who don't know you, who are you guys? Who are you, Ben? Uh, my name's Ben Dobbins. I recently moved up to Canada from the States. I've been running a company in the States for the last eight or so years called Zombie Orpheus Entertainment, where we basically threw the rule book out the window and have been crowdfunding our way to success. Wow, that sounds like a great, uh, great pitch right there. Starting good, starting with the episode nice and clean and powerful. How about you, Nicolas? Uh, well, this is my second time in the show, so I'm. thank you so much for inviting me again. I am the producer of Cadence, the film, which is a feature film that uh, debuted in 2016 at the Vancouver International Film Festival. Now I'm also a board member at the Documentary Organization of Canada, and I also recently just joined uh, part of the team of the Vancouver Short Film Festival. So uh, slowly making my way within the industry in Vancouver. Um, my feature was crowdfunding, and I have crowdfunded several projects and worked in a few others. Uh, related to social media. Amazing. Look at this combination of people <laughs> that we have here. All right. We are, it's the second time for uh, Nicolas here actually at the show. Uh, and uh, he was here at the first uh, in the first season. And when we see that there is passion, uh, we just uh, keep cultivating and uh, we keep exploring. So I feel we're going to be enjoying today today's episode for sure. Um, going right straight to it. Uh, ben, uh, where are you originally from? 
Sure. So originally, 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 yeah. uh, started off in Pennsylvania. Okay. But, you know, moved out of there by the time I was three, and I've been in the Pacific Northwest ever since with uh, occasional diversions to other places. But United States now now here in Canada and looking forward to staying. Right on. So when did it happen? When did it happen? When did the change happen? Uh, for coming up to Canada? Yes. Uh, you know, my wife and I looked at each other and... 2010 when our daughter was born and said you know we got to get out of the states before the 2016 election and it turns out we were right wow wow so uh, ben is also a father there you go 100 uh, big uh, respect for the for that you know it's not yeah. uh, it takes a lot of work and uh, it's a lot of respect for that lots of law that goes into it How's but your... it, it's totally worth it yeah it's totally worth it and it, it, you know as, as facetious as i may be about the American political situation. I love Canada. I love being here. I love the culture. Uh, I love being in a country that looks out for its citizens and where people are looking out for each other in a way that I didn't experience in America. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a privilege to be here. Interesting. All right. Appreciating every second. Now, Nicolas, how about you? Where am I from? Yeah. Uh, so I'm from Bogota, Colombia. Uh, so I'm Latin American. I was. Uh, I was a kid when I grew up there, but I also became, as a teenager, I moved to Bolivia, and then I came to Canada in 2007, uh, basically for university. My, I was looking for ways into filmmaking. There isn't much of a film industry in Colombia, but it's slowly growing a little bit, bit by bit. There's more of a TV industry over there. So when it came time to university, I was like, oh, where should I go? Um, I kind of had hesitations about the United States. A lot of my friends had mm-hmm. um, went to university to the United States. Um, and I just, uh, I visited the U.S. and I didn't see what I, I didn't like what I saw. <laughs> I see. I <laughs> and see. the price and everything of uh, learning filmmaking over there was really hard. So when I just looked into extra options, Vancouver was the third largest industry and continues to be. Maybe at times it reaches number two um, in North America for the film industry. It only made sense. We're in the right place at the right time. That's how right it sounds like. Yeah, awesome. Okay, right. let's go to the juice. Let's go to the juice right here, okay? So we came here to talk crowdfunding because it might be the answer to lots of questions and imbalances in the industry. So we have two uh, masters, two people that know the ins and outs of crowdfunding here and there in their own way. And we're here to learn a little bit about uh, their journey and their process. And actually, we'd love to start with uh, Ben and uh, how everything everything started with the Zombie Orpheus and entertainment and uh, and where it led up and where we are right now. Sure. Well, weirdly, I crowdfunded my first film, and this is not a mistake, in uh, 1998. Uh, So how did that happen? The internet existed, but uh, I basically went in person to as many connections as I could, raised, you know, 20 bucks a piece Wonderful. and was able to uh, <laughs> to shoot my second feature film. So, and that really became the genesis of Dead Gentleman Productions, mm-hmm. which eventually, which is now a part of the Zombie Orpheus family. So, uh, so we've been going for many, almost 20 years now, building, building this audience and kind of evolving our own perspective on how to release films, how to make them, how to stay independent, how to tell the stories that we want to tell. And, you know, had our kind of the traditional, horrible Hollywood distribution experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I was just sitting there and working on the business plan for the next film after that, realized that business plans for independent films only exist to show to hide from investors that they're not going to make their money back. <laughs> wow, this is, a, this is nice and punchy. I love it, man. This is amazing. So, so had this brainstorm. Why not 
throw all of these rules out and make a business plan that would pay investors back and that would get the films in front of eyeballs. So we said, okay, forget selling units. We're in the business of creating a sustaining fan base. And that gives us the freedom to stop worrying about piracy. It gives us the freedom to let our works go out there and be remixed and be reused by other people and be engaged with by the people who are most passionate about it instead of treating our biggest fans like they're criminals for wanting to share our work. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Right? Oh, yeah. wow. And, uh, you know, and, and from there, uh, we launched the new company, Zombie Orpheus, in 2010 on the basis of giving everything away for free, letting people share it, pirate it, remix it, do whatever they want. <laughs> and here we are eight years later as a successful uh, indie film company that's in the black and uh, getting to make the films we want with a worldwide audience. This is wonderful. Sounds like beauty for me. Now, Nicolas, what's your experience with the crowdfunding? For sure. Uh, so basically, the only big... Um, I've done a lot of shorts and done a lot of commercials. The only big feature, my biggest project, Cadence, which I've spoken to before, and you can see that episode in order to find out more about the film, uh, from that, uh, that was entirely crowdfunded. That's the only thing that I, you know, I... Props to you, because it sounds like you've been holding on to the indie spirit for ben, your ben, entire life. That's yeah. incredible. That's amazing. Um, I was taught my filmmaking life here, right here in UBC film production. Um, and the way that film school is can uh, be very part of the system. So when I was part of film school, we were being taught the system. Uh, it's a little bit different than the US. The US, I, it's entirely a private venture. Whenever I go down to the US and I meet US filmmakers, they're always jealous of the Canadian system. Okay. Um, but uh, in some ways, I'm kind of also jealous of the US system because there's, I think the, the reality is like it should be a mixed system. I think Canada has this a uh, little bit too much of our reliance in what I like to call the socialized entertainment um, because basically all of the agencies of the government of Canada are uh, involved in filmmaking. Uh, you know, they come from the government. The tax money f funds, uh, you know, films and shorts and web series nowadays. Uh, but... What getting, that, getting pretty technical yeah, over here. All what right. that creates, what that creates, is a system of gatekeepers. And so, whether or not you're in the United States and you're dealing with studios or private investors, or you're in Canada dealing with uh, an agency or you know a, a, a mixed model like Telus, you know, corporation yeah. slash tax credit sort of situation, uh, you're dealing with all these with all these gatekeepers. Okay. And that's at the core of uh, when I of. Yeah, we don't, we don't really like gatekeepers over here. It's not that uh, we're trying to get rid of those guys. I, mean, you, you I don't know, hate them. I just, oh. I, they, they're not indie. Yeah, there, <laughs> there's a place for gatekeepers, but there there's is. also a place to empower the audience. You know, oh, Absolutely. Oh, I, we, we probably all lived through or remember in one way or another like shows like Firefly getting canceled and Veronica mm -hmm. Mars and, and Jericho, just this kind of entire generation yep. of shows that people tried so desperately to save yep. that the gatekeepers killed. And it's still mm -hmm. happening. Every pilot season, there's right. a show where that gets canceled. Where, where and people fall in love. Uh, with people falling in love, exactly. Yeah, and that's, and that's where a lot of our inspiration came from is saying yeah. what what would happen if we harness these energy these people who are sending you know pallet loads of peanuts to the network who doesn't <laughs> want them <laughs> or pallet loads of mars bars to the Amazing. network mm -hmm. what, what would happen if you just said hey you are you can keep the show you love you love alive here we go yeah. that's amazing exactly. yeah so how do you feel crowdfunding steps in here where do you feel the mechanic actually is the most successful 
I think the mistake that people make with crowdfunding is thinking that it's about money. Because the most important thing that happens when someone makes a pledge to your campaign is that they've made an emotional investment in your success. And that emotional investment, then they see all the other people around them who are doing that as well. And that creates community. And community is what gives you the strength to become sustainable and to move on. Money is just a tool that communities use to achieve their collective goals. Wow. Isn't that so nice and tight? It's it's 100% true. Um, I have a lot of friends that always, because I've done like three crowdfunding campaigns anybody that hasn't done it they will come up to you and they'll be like so what's the magic sauce to your success and i'm like there's no magic sauce and we didn't make that much money but in reality what is powerful is that the moment that the film was done i already had an audience and i was able to sell tickets to that audience the moment that my film came out and went to uh, the vancouver international film festival Mm -hmm. so we sold out and we sold out on the basis of simply uh, posting stuff on facebook and not just (laughs) a passive audience yeah but an active audience because they became involved by making a choice yeah Definitely. And that you can just roll into ongoing engagement. Yes. Yeah. Immensely powerful. And, and you know, like, I mean, in your case, I, I, I assume, I don't know, you can tell me about your work, but it seems like you're more of a genre person. Um, my film is a, still a genre film. It's a psychological mm-hmm. thriller, but it's not one that necessarily has, like, one of those uh, dedicated fan bases that go into Comic-Con or anything like that. Um, it's sort of just attracts a niche kind of person that just likes horror or maybe likes mystery, you know. That's kind of what they're going for um so maybe you can talk more about the fact of what an audience means to you sure well let me give an example uh you know we started off making horror comedies and built a small audience and then just for fun on the side created this little film called the gamers about tabletop role-playing gamers sitting around and then we cut into their imaginations into the fantasy world and we just did it because it spoke to our own experience as nerdy people who like playing role-playing games. What we discovered when that film became a a viral internet sensation or the equivalent for 2003 uh, was that it spoke to people's identity in a Mm. very powerful way where they were able to... We've had people coming to us at conventions for a decade afterwards saying, this didn't laugh at me, this didn't punch down this let me show people who I am and what's important to me and speaking to that kind of identity and passion that people hold for me is where you build an audience I see so there is a constant cycle going between uh, the storyteller and the audience Uh, it's almost never ending how would you suggest though for the people out there who are trying to initiate this sort of movement uh, what is the first step for them there there you know There's so many approaches you can take. My approach is always to think about what am I passionate about where the media, that the media isn't speaking to, that doesn't exist in the mainstream or Mm -hmm. that the mainstream gets wrong. How can I express this aspect of identity or this idea clearly enough that other people can understand it? How, How do we understand someone who is different from us? How do we build bridges with the other instead of you know trying to do the American thing and throw a wall up. I see. Oh, all right. Look at that cheese right there. Mm-hmm. 100 points for Ben right topical, there. Topical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nicolas, uh, yes. what was your experience when you were done with the crowdfunding campaign? Uh, it was insane. I, I mean, I can speak to 
about three different crowdfunding campaigns. Once one was for the short film Citizen Jane by director Carrie Green. Uh, another one was obviously Cadence by director Alex Lacheres. Um, and the last one was a, a, a theater show. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, which was a slightly different. Uh, Citizen Jane, the film was completely done, but we crowdfunded because the director had basically mortgaged her, her house. Wow. <laughs> oh, okay. Film. All right. And, that's, uh, and that's so amazing. there was, even though the film was made, uh, there was uh, basically there was debt and there was also a component to the film that was impactful. The film was speaking about... Uh, um the the banning of homosexuals in the 90s here in Canada um and how that sort of played out in similar ways in the United States and all over the world um and essentially because the director is LGBTQ she wanted to tell the story which did not have even though it was resolved in the 90s in Canada much earlier than all the problems in the US and don't ask don't tell uh it did not have um it still had impact in the lives of a lot of the of the men and women that served and were LGBTQ. Ben, um, do you feel that that's a that's a morally speaking something correct to do? It, absolutely, and you know I, I could go on a very long rant about why representation is so important. Again, for not just our expressing our own identities, but understanding other identities and recognizing our common humanity among them and you know it's, it's one of the things that we've really tried to do with our projects as well is to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of just showing people who are like us yeah and i mean to end that story with citizen jane it's basically it's a very successful short it went on out tv um we made a petition to the government to, at the time the harper government a oh. very conservative government to basically say apologize to all the men and women that have suffered through this at yeah. least apologize because there was never an actual apology the apology actually came through with justin trudeau uh, i believe last year okay right i don't i don't want I don't, i don't think it's because of the film but i think it's because times have changed and the film was a part of it the film played at several festivals queer festivals and everything so the experience with that crowdfunding campaign was being part of a movement i see i feel ben has something to say over here yeah i, I feel very strongly that politics and politicians react to culture and the way we change culture is through storytelling which is what makes the work Definitely. that we do so powerful and yeah. so important. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, it's hard to say whether or not Harper or any politician, uh, you know, saw the film. We had support from some NDP people, mm -hmm. uh, a very important party here in Canada, and um, and 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 eventually the film just continued playing on itself. But it was it was part of a collective of these films that were speaking about this subject mm -hmm. uh, because there is a darker history in Canada that sometimes people don't like to talk about because the image of Canada outside to the world is uh, medicine and mooses and beavers <laughs> and maple syrup but it's not entirely true um, and then finally I guess with Cadence Cadence is the one that probably I can speak to the most um, we jumped straight into production of the film Like we had, I had a month of pre-production <laughs> between the crowdfunding campaign and the film. So there was literally no time to think about the crowdfunding campaign when the crowdfunding campaign was over. Uh, now we have tons of time about, uh, you know, thinking about I see, what I to see. do with yeah. the people. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. I see also another thing I see in this room is uh, the love for the genre. 
So uh, I've been hearing this word a lot in here, and uh, uh, this is interesting because uh, today's episode is actually dedicated to fantasy because mm-hmm. Ben has a little bit of a surprise and a little bit of a genius mechanism to share with us all today dedicated to all fantasy creators and fantasy content lovers. So if you're one of those, open your ears right now and don't forget this name, Ben Dobbins, <laughs> for the Fantasy Network. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So what we've experienced you know, over the last eight years is... We've, we've gone in and we've really worked to improve our model and to experiment and we're now at the point where we have something that works and we want to share it. We want to empower more independent filmmakers to reach their audiences directly. And so what we've done is now collaborated with uh, Airstorm Entertainment and The Forge Entertainment, two other big uh, Kickstarter fantasy companies, and we're launching collaboratively The Fantasy Network online at thefantasy.com. Network. <laughs> right on. Okay, nice. we're going to actually get to talk a little bit more about the Fantasy Network in a second. This is uh, Room Tone. We chat movies over here. I'll catch you right after the break. Welcome, welcome, welcome back, everybody. Here we are, about to talk movies again with Ben Dobbins and Nicolas Ayerbe Barona. We're about to talk about an extremely interesting and uh, fascinating uh, platform uh, that uh, Ben, uh, you know, is, is, is about to tell us all about. What is, what is the fantasy network for all fantasy lovers out there? Sure. So... You know, the easy answer is it's like Netflix for fantasy, with, <laughs> but it's it's nothing like that. Uh, you know, our goal it was to create a platform for what we called shared cinematic universes. Again, getting back to this whole notion of empowering audiences, not focusing on unit sales, but creating this this sustainability. And so, the Fantasy Network. You know, has a video streaming component, and we've been licensing content from amazing creators around the world. But our primary goal is to take these audiences, combine them, and use them to help 
fund more content for more creators, to use the models that we've developed to get more people telling the kinds of stories that can't happen mm-hmm. via the gatekeepers. I see. I see. Going back to those gatekeepers. So, That's right. Uh, Nicolas, where do you actually see this new platform, you know, in the in the more community? Cause I, I think it only makes sense, to be honest. The more I think about uh, the future of this industry, the more I think of um, the only path for filmmakers right now. You have to always be a multitasker, a businessman, a sound, your own sound designer, etc. All these kinds of stuff that you have to learn uh, in order to succeed. You can always build a great team of people to, you know, fill in the gaps and that kind of stuff. But there was never, or there was rarely people in the past who attempted to also be the gatekeeper. And I think the reality is that's what you're becoming. You're a gatekeeper to your content. And that's the only gatekeeping that should really exist, in my opinion. Uh, that being said, there is power. There's power in like the community of, like, say, this being part of CVC or being part of Telus and these big networks. Or you know, if you're in the United States, if you're joining a TV channel or something like that. Uh, power in the sense of numbers and, and marketing. I see. Uh, but the internet has definitely opened up every single channel and opportunity for you to just connect directly to the people that you want to meet. You know, uh, you remind me a lot of I, I met very recently a, a group of uh, documentary filmmakers through through my through the board of the Documentary Organization of Canada who are also attempting uh, something similar of which is it's it's a website called Doku.tv and it's mm -hmm. basically a, a model of how do we connect the creator with the viewer and that this feedback loop returns content and money between and this other, is why i know? feel so strongly about allowing the community to engage actively with the content yeah where you know especially if they are the ones who are funding it yeah you know, giving them the freedom to remix and to play and that's where i'm so fascinated by this whole notion of shared cinematic universes what if you had the freedom Obviously, this would never happen, but what if you had the freedom to tell your own canon stories within the Star Wars universe? Mm -hmm. You would see some amazing, fascinating stories and perspectives that would never make it past Disney. Yeah, I see. So basically, here we're trying to get rid of those gatekeepers and become a little bit more independent in the way uh, story flows in the society and in the community. Sure. Well, let, let me give you an example, if it's all right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Go for it, yeah, man. So we, we've been working on a project called Strowlersk as, as the first example of this new model then that we built the platform to accommodate and the, the idea was we'd create an umbrella universe that could allow creators from all over the world to tell a story that would connect together we've not released this yet but what's happened hmm. is that we, as creators around the world have heard about this they have come to us and said how do we get involved so we're now at the point where we've not only shot you know our pilot episode in seattle but we were then invited to ireland and we shot a time travel ghost story there and wow. then we were, and then uh, uh, the shamans in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, heard about this project and said, "You understand us. This speaks to our. This world <laughs> wow, speaks to our identity. This is Amazing. incredible." <laughs> so we went out and we spent three weeks in Mongolia shooting yeah. an urban fantasy in Ulaanbaatar. Wow. And here's the kicker. There's now an Australian team who's getting ready to tell their part of this connected story. Oh, and they're going to fly down the lead actress from Mongolia to appear in the wow. show in Australia. Show that in is Australia. a genius. Yeah, wow, beautiful. And this is what happens when you empower people to be creative and to connect. All, already we're ha having these global that's connections incredible. and storytelling taking that's place amazing. because people are being 
are free to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, wonderful. That's, that level of connection is exactly what one is looking for here. And I think it goes back to... To me, it's almost like a whole new level of the auteur theory. I'm sure that people have heard of the auteur theory and how, you know, if he, tell I, us a little I, bit about it, go for it. Uh, I mean, basically, the auteur theory basically tells us that the director and the writer are the head of the entire film business, and that the film is a vision or a message straight from the director's uh, heart or brain, right? As opposed to a studio or a writer, um, you know, it's been expanded, um, you know, it's very popular in the 60s, but its components are still very much alive. The fact that we all love Spielberg and George Lucas mm -hmm. is a fact of like the auteur theory is very important. And if there's anything that we've learned about those big Hollywood directors um, and the way that we make films nowadays is that whether you're a showrunner on television or you are a director in film, uh, you you have been given the capacity to become the full power and leader and the message maker of your content. It is now your turn to basically also not just be the content creator, but also be the businessman behind your content. And I think that's the way that it expands into everything, where you are, you are creating your own platform, you are creating your own business, you're connecting with your own audience instead of having to leave that job to somebody else. Wonderful. That's a great uh, summary right there. The, it sounds like we're all in a deep uh, process of transition, uh, not only in the filmmaking world, but also globally. I see, I see yeah. Ben has something <laughs> to say. Go for it, man. Splash yeah. it through that microphone. So, so part of what has fascinated me about this project and that connects particularly to the auteur theory, it, it, we started off with our, our writer's room and with a very particular idea for the themes that we would be working with. But at the same time, you know, kind of the, the tagline for the show is tell your story, change the world. And what has happened as we've started meeting with these other filmmakers, these Mongolian shamans came in, they told their story and they changed not only their world, but the world of stories that were like, we've moved so far beyond auteur theory because what we intended to do, I'll, I'll give a very quick example, yeah, yeah, yeah. we were looking at kind of mag uh, magical oppression as a metaphor for personal oppression mm. and what the way they changed our world is say, no, magical oppression is cultural oppression oh wow which okay. we've now heard as well um i've you know i've met with uh some storytellers uh in the bc interior from the first nations people I and see. uh yeah, yeah. recently met with a maori actress in new zealand mm. oh, wow. and what i'm hearing around the world is that theme reflected and there's yeah. something immensely powerful about having started off with this particular idea of what I wanted to say as an auteur and having it utterly transformed by perspectives that I couldn't imagine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no, well, that's, 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 uh, it means being open, you know, that's uh, adaptability. That is, that is a great skill right there even to have. Probably that's something that we miss a little bit as well. There is, a, I notice that there is a lot of this, you know, yeah. uh, impose, uh, impose, imposure, is that how I say? Impo imposing the story, you know? Yeah. Uh, that is, a, that is a, a little bit of a mistake uh, that it yeah. happens, I feel, I notice many times. What would you say and what did you do to actually open up to those other options? Well, I'm, I'm convinced that platforms def create 
culture. As an example, we were crowdfunding before Kickstarter, and then Kickstarter came in with a certain set of assumptions about how rewards were structured, and they changed the culture of crowdfunding to something that was transactional and reward-based instead of community-focused on how do we create this singular piece of art. And and the reason I bring that up is as as we work the internet itself is a platform that is built on sharing information the ability to make perfect infinite copies of your work at no cost to you and you can either be the gatekeepers who are spending millions of dollars trying to fight that or you can work with it and the way that connects back to all of this is that that kind of openness and connection naturally creates the kind of culture that we then see reflected in these experiences Mm -hmm. that we're talking about yeah for sure i i i do think there is a cost to crowdfunding <laughs> and I'm sure you can talk about it. <laughs> it's not there's a there's a time and uh, you know there's the triangle of time and quality and like money and whatnot and all that and there's a time factor and quality factor there that needs to play out for your crowdfunding. To where be. do you where do you see that happen specifically? Uh Sometimes a crowdfunding campaign, like the video of a crowdfunding, uh, the pitch video of a crowdfunding yeah. campaign looks just as good as a movie. And it just makes me wonder, like, how much did they spend in making this pitch video? <laughs> Why didn't they just shoot the goddamn thing? <laughs> <laughs> um, and that goes for products as well as because that's the problem that you're talking about, which is the key platforms uh, Indiegogo has a little more heart in my opinion but Kickstarter Indiegogo they've become essentially glorified um, Amazon stores for their pre-sales their pre-sales exactly mm. it's all pre-sales hidden behind the veneer of uh, you know we're trying to uh, there is a little bit of a community there I I don't totally love them or hate them but the more you realize that, for example, they're not perfect, in my opinion, for filmmaking. This is where I think I have to do a shout out for the folks at Seed and Spark. Seed and Spark is... uh, Who are doing brilliant work in creating that ongoing community focus on the core mission. Definitely. And many... I I went to a talk with uh, where I saw Emily Bass from Seed and Spark, Mm -hmm. and she switched on completely on the concept of community creation. And that's that's the important aspect. Honestly, guys, that's what matters. I know that (laughs) that making movies and money is really important, but the only thing that really matters is if you have a bunch of people following you, then... You'll be fine. He has a lot to say <laughs> through that microphone. It seems like we're going really a lot back to community. Uh, do you think there is a uh, there is a, a secret to building a community, or there is a how would people start building a community? How is the process of uh, embracing the community? If uh, you know, uh, for the people out there who have uh, uh, this big question mark around community, do you have any precise experience around community building? My basically my entire job is mm-hmm. creating and building communities and nurturing communities that already exist. Uh, l- let me give you an example. Um, I like this example right. moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> so, neat. Uh, we're just, you know, at heart, we're a, a small independent company that's doing all right, but, you know, independent film, you're constantly scraping by. We're not changing the world in any meaningful way. But what happens when... Every time we run a crowdfunding campaign is that we have doubters. We have people who say, there's no way you're going to reach this goal. What are you thinking? The community will not come through. 
Mm. I see. And when you succeed, it becomes this extraordinary emotional experience where they suddenly become believers in the value of collective action. And for me, that is fundamental. When people realize what we can accomplish when we work together, that really transcends, okay, we're just making silly little fantasy comedy movies and becomes empowerment and trust that we can do that in other realms where it might be more important than whether or not a movie gets funded. Yeah, overcoming the challenge strengthen, uh, strengthens the bonds, eh? Yeah, and as you're building a community, creating challenges that are enough of a challenge, but that you're confident that you can overcome, really does build those bonds. You you craft that into the crowdfunding process so that you get these emotional payoffs. It's It's like you're creating a video game where you want to have a good payoff after a big struggle on a periodic basis to maintain engagement. Balance and awareness right there. Do you, mm -hmm. Nicolas, do you have any positive uh, community creating uh, experience in your life? Something you want to share? Um, well, I mean, I'm basically trying to think. It's kind of, it goes back to what I was mentioning before, for example, with like uh, Citizen Jane and the whole LGBTQ in the army situation. Mm -hmm. Or, for example, when it comes to cadence. When it comes to audiences, what I'm th always thinking about is more of what is the world that I'd like to see and how to make it happen. Exactly. Um, Cadence sort of began in a world where uh, at the time what was big was Saw and gore and like the gore no genre. Now, I saw a lot of those films, those horror films, and, you know, at first they're accelerating and exciting. We were talking earlier about why horror is exciting to me uh, before their show began. Um, but after a while, it just becomes, you know, a blood fest. And the reality was, for me, the most interesting horror films are the ones that have some kind of um, intelligence behind it and trickery. And, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to really get you. Um, and so in that time and that period where we began making Cadence, those films weren't being made anymore, right? Like, like if you go and see a Hollywood film right now, there isn't, or, you know, a couple of months ago, there isn't a, a Sixth Sense kind of film anymore. And that's what we were trying to create. We created Cadence. And it just seems like the zeitgeist has moved along with us because mm -hmm. now all of a sudden we're seeing this resurgence of films like... Uh, Uh, Hereditary, which I just saw recently, it's kind of like The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the Conjuring films, which are also, you know, in that sort of realm. We're seeing uh, Get Out, you know, which speaks about representation and talks about the shiny. It's a creating insight in a in a horror in a horror in exactly. the horror genre. It's yeah. creates. We're back to the world that I wanted to see. Now, I'm not saying that Cadence was a part of it. I just think it was in the side, guys. There was a hole in the market, and we were filling it. And then now the market has realized, oh, we, why aren't we? You know, like the bigger market has. Yeah, we're, I guess this. we're getting tired of superficiality over here. There yeah. is something more that we want to tell, and the genre yeah. is, and, is and, a way. And it's the reality. I mean, like, I love superhero films, but, <laughs> and I love Star Wars films too, but like, when you go to the Cineplex and <laughs> all the 14 theaters are only playing a Marvel movie and a Star Wars movie, yeah. there's something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is indeed. What do you think about that, Ben? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. There was it. Boom. All right. Space bar. There you go. Okay. <laughs> right on. Right on. Well, I want to ask you guys because there is a lot of uh, a lot of fire here in the booth today. Lots of energy splashed through the microphone. Where do you guys see yourself in five years? 
Wow. Look at that sign. It's like, all right, all right, all right. De- dead air. Uh. <laughs> this industry is so unpredictable. I've, I've told my, my partner year after year after year, this is the last year. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm burned out. I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm looking forward to when I can just go and focus on my music career and, and write novels and coffee shops and, uh, and, and do anything but this, which is so immensely stressful and nonstop, but the, the the problem is it comes back to this kind of reward cycle as well. You get these successes and make it a little bit further on and think, wow, someone just came up to me and explained how this movie changed their life and how they've started a new business because of the inspiration and, and you see the effect that you make in the world mm. and, you know, the internet moves so quickly. Things change so fast. You have to be flexible. You have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to to move with the culture and understand the culture. Where am I going to be in five years? I have no idea. Yeah, I think we we, we have uh, we go back to the concept of uh, adaptability over here. Yeah. How about you, Nicolas? In five years, where do you see yourself? Five years. Uh, well, I think I will be in Vancouver at okay. the very least. Uh, I don't like cold weather, so Toronto <laughs> is, uh, you know, just invite me in the summer. Uh, <laughs> um, and I also have, you know, my, my, my thoughts about what LA and New York think of. I, I do like Vancouver. I do like the industry. I like the fact that it's also not the number one industry because it basically means what I was talking about. There's a gap here that needs to be filled. But there's a lot uh, There's a lot of opportunity in this so-called Hollywood North for it to stop being called Hollywood North and just being called Vancouver, right? Um, and those stories that truly come from here. And, um, and the thing is, Vancouver is really a global market. There is n- everyone who is in Vancouver is not from Vancouver. Yeah, so that's true, eh? It's very international <laughs> melting pot right here. Very international. I mean, yeah, I'm talking to an American, and I'm Colombian, and you're Italian. So <laughs> yeah, it's like a little bit of a mess, but we love it, we love it, we love <laughs> we this love mess, it. yeah. So it's, it is, uh, for me, Vancouver has always been a playground. I'd like to be here. I'd like to have uh, the capacity to be making several projects, at least two or three. I'm happy to hear that you're happy, man. That's yeah. great, yeah. <laughs> we have a little bit of a challenge actually coming from Ben uh, right after the break, so stay tuned and enjoy. This is the sound... Uh, this is the soundtrack of Lord of the Rings uh, because, of course, we dedicate the episode to the fantasy lovers out there uh, for the Fantasy Network. See you in a second. Ciao, ciao, everybody.
Welcome back. Here we are, talking movies on Room Tone, the radio show. Uh, ben and Nicolas, we have a little bit of a challenge for Ben uh, right now. Uh, just right before getting into the show, uh, Ben uh, asked, uh, uh, you know, to be challenged with the one-minute pitch. We always do the one-minute pitch here at the Room Tone. We give the chance to the guests to talk for one minute about a project that they want to do or create or, or so, sort of give to the people out there. And uh, what is going to happen, Nicolas is going to throw at Ben one location, one character, and one problem. And uh, throughout the one minute in which Nicolas is going to pitch his own project, Ben is going to create and uh, reach through the corners of the, his imagination and then pitch his own story with those variables that Nicholas gave. So, Nicholas, what are those uh, variables? All right. So, I've been thinking about it. Um, I'm basically, your character will be a dark wizard. Okay. Mm-hmm. Your location will be a deserted island. Okay. And your problem will be the quest for finding love uh, through adoption. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is, wow. That is an <laughs> incredible. Okay. So, while, while uh, Ben is going to work his way through this... We're just gonna have to go. Uh, we're just gonna have to go through the pitching for Nicholas. Nicholas, are sure. you ready? You let me know when you're ready. Yeah, are you ready? I'll be as ready as I can ever be. For All this. right, <laughs> let's give it a shot. And the clock is going now. All right, so I'm gonna be pitching uh, "Defining Realities," which is a documentary by my f- uh, friend that I'm producing. Uh, my friend's called Yangos Hajianis. Uh, "Defining Realities" is a documentary about the virgining world of XR. XR is better known around the world as virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality. We're gonna be following a team of people working at the edge of the Vancouver tech industry, figuring out what the future of the different realities mean to the actual reality that we're living in right now what does it mean to be creating worlds in virtual augmented and mixed realities and how that'll affect the lives of millions of people across the world okay you have 15 seconds if you want to splash some more stuff in there uh yeah i mean basically we'll be just uh interviewing a lot of our friends from the center for digital media where i went to school um for to doing my master's degree and a lot of these people work in a lot of the big tech companies of Vancouver. Awesome. Awesome. All right. That yeah, that's the clock uh, that's, that's wrapped up right. Yeah, 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 but uh, now it's uh, it's was so interesting to see Ben over there thinking about this pitch and uh, <laughs> are you ready? Okay, le- you ready to go? Let's let's find out what let's, happens. Let's <laughs> run. Let's go for it. Okay. This is Ben's pitch with the variables that Nicholas gave him uh, around this fantasy world. Okay. Enjoy everybody. This is 1 minute pitch. So, this is a show about, uh, it's a modern retelling of The Tempest. Uh, It takes place on a desert island, and it is specifically dealing with uh, the story of children who have been ripped from their parents, which is very topical right now, and looking at how they can make sense of their own culture and what they remember, remember of it when they're put with foster parents. And so we have a dark wizard on this island who is incredibly lonely, who wants to find love, but uh, in order to do that, he has to create these horrible storms that will bring shipwrecks in. So he is wrecking ships on the island and ends up killing all of one of their particular crews except for a young child, and then must try to build a relationship and with this child uh, over the course of the first season while he is being challenged by his own conscience and trying to attract more ships to stay alive. 
Wow, look at that story. That's amazing. Wow, that's an incredible one. Just improvised uh, like that. I uh. think the Tempest was a perfect choice. I didn't even think about it when I w just came up with the That's great, man. You did just that's That's a great combination of yes. factors. Well, so well put yeah. together. Yeah, yes, uh, interesting. I, I didn't know about that. <laughs> I, like I didn't that. see that like coming. That. Beautiful. I love it. All right. <laughs> let's, let's moonwalk into the Proust questionnaire. So Proust wrote 35 questions. Uh, he thought that they would, identifies, uh, they would identify someone's true uh, being. But we're going to have pick five randomly, five of those, and we're just going to discuss and get to know a little bit more about each other. So the first question, actually, let's go for it right away. What is your greatest extravagance? Hey. Extravagance. I, oh, God, I don't know. I, I like eating. All right, all right, all right. Who doesn't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have two. I, I love to design and stage massive live-action murder mysteries, which takes way more time than I have. And my other big extravagance <laughs> is really awful reality television. Okay, awesome. All I right. can relate to that. Wow. But I, I love kitchen nightmares. With yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Survivor. Oh, Just Survivor. Lost yeah. on an island. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of island. Second question uh, of the Bruce questioner. When and where were you happiest? Ooh. Uh, I mean, I think I'm happy now, but uh, I always go back to my time in Bolivia just because it was... A completely it's so different from uh, what you see on mainstream television and what you see in the world like uh, Bolivia it's almost like living in a in a different world in a different time it's timeless I I, I don't want to you know fantasize it as this magical land where like things don't happen but uh, I really I really it makes me every time I think about it it makes me realize that every part of the world it's its own little pocket of reality so mm. um, I go back to that a lot because it's it's so different from what I live here in Vancouver. It is pocket of reality. I like that combination of words right there. How about you, Ben? Uh, about four years back, I was approached by a director I knew who begged me to be music director for a live action theatrical, for musical theater, basically, mm -hmm. to come in, be the musical director. And I said no, and she asked again, and I said no, and she asked again, and finally I said yes, and... I felt more like myself just getting to be utterly creative in real time with real people in the same room making awesome music and telling an amazing story than anything I've done. That must have been a very magical situation, very magical opportunity, you know, get all yeah. that energy flowing uh, through the room. How about that experience? I'm curious. Could you tell us a little bit about, more about that? Sure. Well, it was a uh, uh, libretto and book by a uh, Vancouver uh, composer named uh, John Woods, and... I was put on down in Seattle and just one of those things where I had a break in my film schedule and, and had the opportunity to collaborate and not have to worry, be the person worrying about budgets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> just be creative. <laughs> just be creative. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. What's that like? Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Almost too sweet. Almost that's too sweet. That's amazing. Third question of the Proust questionnaire. If you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? Oh, man, just person. I don't know what thing would be. Uh, no, I'd rather come back as a person and I'd rather come back as, you know, I'd just love to be a person that is in a completely different cultural context. Like if I was born in the Middle East or in China or in Russia, I would like to experience that. And I would like to experience different timelines too. I, I've, uh, you brought up Mongolia and to me, like one of the most interesting periods in history is the Mongolian Empire. <laughs> For sure. Ben, you got something to say over there? I think it'd be fascinating to come back as 
someone who got extraordinary access and then had the opportunity to become a whistleblower. Oh, Ooh. okay, okay. Nice. <laughs> Look there, up, man. There's, there's so, many... so much corruption <laughs> in, in this world and not lot. enough yeah. people so, who are willing to So many it. surprises. You're just a guy who like, uh, concealed Facebook data. <laughs> so, ma- so many surprises over there. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so this is the fourth question of the Proust question. It's going to be interesting. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? Oof. Uh... Probably le- not having any friends or family or any type of support network. Like you don't need, you don't need a family. You can create your own families. But if for some reason you are not even capable of having friends, I think that must be the loneliest kind of experience possible. Even if you have money or you don't have money. Wow. Okay. I resonate with that. I really like that. Ben. Destruction of family, destruction of culture, having your children ripped away from you. Um, you know, obviously, Canada has a history with that. The United States has That's a history true. with that. Oh, yeah. Many other countries do as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that is, and it's happening right now in the States, it is utterly abhorrent. And being a parent, having a young child or infant taken away and never seeing them again is, is for me worse than anything i can imagine i really agree with that as well hey we're touching some low notes we got (laughs) we're getting into some minor chords over here okay yeah 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 we can close an eye on those things though Mm -hmm. and we know what land we're standing so yeah we 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 have to be aware of the situation no no time to close eyes on that but going back to your note uh, nicolas you were talking about friends uh, and family the fifth question of the proust questionnaire before we wrap this episode up what do you most value in your friends um just the ability to speak my mind and be answered back, really, uh, because I learn a lot from my friends and I make new friends all the time. And uh, sometimes I'm very wrong and sometimes I'm very right. And sometimes I just want to say something that's in my mind. And uh, I, I like being wrong as much as I like being right. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And good, nice combination right there. Ben? I think what I love about my friends is that they haven't given up. It's it's so easy to just fall into the patterns that we're expected to and to kind of passively go through the motions and mm. you know, get, get the little house in in the suburbs and and go and go to the job and just kind of try to preserve our own lives and being friends with people who are engaged and who are aware and who like you were talking about earlier see what the world should be mm-hmm. and are trying to work in whatever way they can to achieve that better world um you know th- that's an extraordinary yeah. gift community building yeah goes back to community <laughs> yeah and that's what we're building here talking yeah, about this and uh, sharing our love for the craft yeah. And that's what we do here at Room Tone. Room yes. Tone radio show every Monday here at 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. Sharing our passion for the craft of filmmaking. If you're a filmmaker yourself and uh, you want to come here on air, just send us an email at listen to roomtone at gmail.com. Now, I want to thank you guys very much, Ben Domins and Nicolas Aire Barona. You guys can find the links in the description of this podcast as well. We release it as a podcast as well. Uh, any final notes or advice for filmmakers out there? Wow, advice for filmmakers? Tell your story. It, it don't try to think about what others what story is going to appear appeal to the mass audience tell your story that is meaningful to you and you will find people who are like you mm-hmm. Nicolas uh, never stop uh, I think a lot of 
uh, filmmakers, um, they do one short and five years later, they're like, oh my God, I haven't done anything. And I'm like, but that's your fault. We have every single, we have, you know, it's not the 1950s where like going to get a camera meant that you had to go to yeah. Claremont. Live the moment, make it happen. Yeah, you have, awesome. an, you, have an, you have an iPhone, make a video with that. Absolutely, go make it happen. Right on, this is the mm-hmm. tip for you guys out there. Enjoy life, see you around, ciao, ciao.